Howdy folks, welcome to our podcast, Life in the Saddle. This is Ben Longwell with True West Horsemanship. We're glad you're here. Join us as we share stories and adventures and interview extraordinary men and women in the equine and ranching industries to gain insight into horsemanship and life itself. It is our mission to help people and their horses better understand one another and achieve together that which they cannot do individually. Thanks for riding along with us. All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. I sure appreciate you joining us. And I'm looking forward to visiting more with Michelle Scully here. She reached out to me on Instagram or Facebook somewhere. And uh, I think she really has quite a story to tell. Um, Michelle, thank you for taking the time and, and kind of helping me make this happen. Uh, what time of day is it over there? You're over in California, right? Yeah. And you're in Montana? Well, yes. <laughs> at the moment. Do you know where you are? <laughs> yeah. At the moment, we're actually in Oklahoma of all places. Oh. So, um, we're tripping around a little bit this winter. We've got some horse work where it's a little uh, more temperate. Yeah. Yeah. My husband keeps immigrants um, on his weather app because he's a farmer and he likes to know what's wet. And that's where he likes to go hunting. So he's like, holy crud, look at the temperatures there. So yeah. 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 It's uh Montana is a beautiful place. Uh, I'm originally from Colorado, so I, I love the Northern Rockies, but it is not a very friendly place this time of year sometimes. No, yeah, I'm in Northern California and we are getting snow today. So we're out running around in it like it's a big deal. We're getting like half an inch. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that uh, I've got some siblings in Western Oregon and they, I saw they were getting snow today. So that, yeah. yeah, that's a little bit unusual, isn't it? Yeah. So are you originally from that area or? No, I'm originally from, I'm from California, um, about three hours from where I live. I live in a little place like 10 people have heard of. It's called Lake County, not Lake County, Oregon, but Lake County, California. And um, my husband and I uh, met in the town of Davis because we both did our undergrad work there. And then he married me and hauled me up here. His family, that's how thats how you do it. If you're from a small place, you find your person, bring them there. Um, we're in farming. So that's what we do up here. Okay. So you, you're, you do some farming. You're also an author and obviously an avid, avid horse person. And um, so growing up, growing up there in California, did you, did you always, um, have an interest in horses or, or what was your, what was your childhood like with that in that regard? Yeah, that's the thing you ask people. And I wasn't, um, you know, in farming, the things that you ride around in are trucks and tractors, not horses. So I always kind of thought I like should have been in a ranching family, but, um, I grew up in Livermore, which is, uh, used to be a pretty rural place. And like our high school was Livermore Cowboys and just came into the world, like living, breathing, thinking horses. Um, my family had some horses when I was little bitty and then they went away and I got my first horse when I was five. And then pretty much by hook or crook, <laughs> tried to like scrabble around horses, um, had a horse during high school. And then I went off to college at uh, UC Davis and it's a big ag school with the vet school there. So there was a lot of access to horses and made friends with people who had horses and kind of scrabbled around with uh, roping poorly, playing polo poorly, jumping poorly, all the stuff you do when you're trying to scrap it together. For sure. And it sounds like you were pretty, pretty keen to get in and try a lot of different stuff and, and yeah. Um, you know, gain experience and obviously take advantage of any opportunity that you, you could. Um, was there an equine program at Davis or, or was it just sort of part of the culture with a lot of the students there? Um, it, like I, when, when I was six years old, I made this proclamation apparently that I was going to school at Davis and I wanted to go to vet school. Um, I did not apply myself. I had a really good time in college um, I did graduate and worked in research there at the university for years, but I went in as an animal science major and then uh, they had a equestrian facility where you could um, go and take lessons and they had a polo team and a polo club and all the, 
all the horse stuff you could ask for. And um, they did have, I started off freshman year with an internship at the horse barn, which that was back in the day when you could make interns do really cruddy jobs for free. And so I cleaned a lot of stalls and learned how to um, tease mares with their stallions there. So that was an education. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's all good experience. Yeah. I, I think it's good for uh, young people to get a lot of stall cleaning experience. That's <laughs> it's very zen even now like when I clean stalls yeah. I'm like to me it's like it, my stall needs to be meticulous and yet my house has like dog hair all over it so but I have a lot of great thoughts when I'm cleaning stalls oh yeah that's that's when some of the best thinking goes on yeah for sure okay so um sort of as you, as you continued along there through college and then after college, how did horses play a part in your life, you know, kind of through your twenties and stuff? Going forward. Um, up until I got married, I was pretty much, um, not in a place where I could have a horse of my own, but I have some very dear close friends who, um, they took me under their wing and we're still friends today. Now their kids have kids and, um, they were really, he's a cowboy by trade and their family is, all oh, their girls are super handy and um, they were into team roping. So they would let me along, let me schlep along with them. And when I got married and ended up here, um, we had space that I would be able to ride when I was with them. So I got my own horse again. So I started off with a a retired rope horse. That's awesome. How long, how did that go along? Like with, with, uh, with your getting married and, and obviously farm work and stuff like that. Have you always pretty much had horses and, and that always played a pretty key role in your life? Or did you have to have a season where, where that kind of went to the back burner? So there was a gap from when I was first married and they said, Hey, you have space. Do you, are you thinking about getting a horse? And I, um, got their retired rope horse. His name was Lickety Split. And, um, then I had him for a number of years and my same friend, his name's Ernie. I said, I, you know, Lick is a little bit on the old side. And he said, well, you know what I'd recommend, Michelle, you're going to laugh at this, Ben. He said, I think you should get a two-year-old because nobody else has messed it up yet. So I like the look on your face. Um, so I got I got that horse and I messed him up. Um, I got a two-year-old. My folks are in southeastern Oregon. So I went up to uh, Lakeview, Oregon and uh, found this two-year-old horse that I brought home with me. And then I promptly looked at him and said, I don't have any idea what to do with you. And that's really what started on my journey of being a perpetual student of horsemanship. Cause I had to figure out, okay, now what? Great. This is just great. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? So, um, I describe it as he was a blank slate and then I just scribbled all over it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of a good way to put it. And yeah, yeah, you know, that's one of the toughest things. And I run into it a lot, as you can imagine, um, folks, you know, wanting to learn or wanting to have the experience of starting their own horse. And sometimes it works out really well. And, you know, of course, we're going to make mistakes. You know, uh, the only person not making any mistakes is the person not doing anything. Yeah, but thank you the reality is it, it can be pretty touch and go and it, and, and it can go pretty, pretty bad as well. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. I think there's any one right answer to say whether that's, you know, right or wrong for anybody, but it certainly almost always provides a, an opportunity for a pretty steep learning curve. And it sounds like you, you know, realize that pretty quick and, and took advantage of that hopefully. And, and so what did that, how did that sort of pan out? Um, what did that look like? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like you take a hold of that halter when he comes out of the, and I named him Skeeter because um, we had gone to the Paisley mosquito festival and then just happenstance. My dad's always been my partner in crime happenstance as we were driving home with a truck and a trailer, we stopped and looked at this horse and went home with the horse. Um, and I very quickly 
there's one good thing about me is I don't have any notions that I'm like an expert at anything. And I was like, holy crud, I need some help. So I looked into the world of horsemanship and that's like a curtain, you know, and you open it and you're like, whoa. So at the time, the person who was really putting themselves out there was John Lyons. He's kind of like the OG of getting horsemanship out to the masses. And it was very much like, um, you know, find somebody who was a John Lyons trainer. And um, I still know the gal that I found and she now um, she has gone on her own horsemanship journey and took my horse to her for six weeks. And then you just kick the can down the road for six weeks and then you pick up your horse again. And you're like, holy crud, I still don't know what I'm doing. So I realized I needed to like escalate the learning curve. So that really started my journey of, um, you know, that there's a lot to this and my concept of groundwork um, before I was of the get on and do the thing mindset, you would rope or just go, you would just go. We used to call it just riding. And I now believe that there's, I'm not even sure that's a thing anymore. Um, and so it just kind of was like this snowball rolling down a hill of um, learning with people and finding other people who are learning. And, um, you know, Buck Branneman was a big name out there and trying to go audit and learn things like that. Uh, you'll appreciate this. I took my horse Skeeter to this horsemanship clinic, which involved me. This was really my first jump into doing a clinic it involved me driving my boys five hours up to my mom's to watch them because it was during our harvest season, which is like, I tell my husband high at five in the morning and high again at eight at night. And then I drove back here, I hitched up the trailer, put the, my horse in it, drove four hours to the clinic um, with this saddle that I've had like forever, plunked it on the horse, went into the arena and then promptly bucked on a perfect diagonal. And I like to say it was like Billy Etbauer, like hand in the air at a perfect diagonal, riding that buck all the way across the arena. And then my horse's back was sore. So I couldn't, couldn't work with the horse that I brought. So it was like, all of my learning has been um, very kind of like in your face. And um, it doesn't take me a lot of times to realize that I had a lot to learn, but then another horse that I worked with, because as you know, it's not, doesn't need to be the horse that you own. It's, you can learn from every horse. So um, that was my inauspicious beginning as a world of learning. And um, my friends still like kind of laugh at me about it, but they will admit that I wrote that book. Not that anybody wants to do any of that, but I did write it. Well, you know, I always um, tried to express my appreciation for folks who come to my clinics and, and you know, recognizing that it takes some doing, some planning, some logistics, yeah. some intention. And, you know, it never does cease to amaze me the number of people that will put their hands up and say they're interested in a clinic versus the percentage that will actually show up and make that happen it is yeah. it, it's a it is a big deal and it's sometimes it's scary sometimes it is out of our comfort zones and so i don't take that lightly i'm always pretty appreciative and grateful for people you know going through like what you did a 10-hour drive and and uh just to drop the kids off you know yeah and, and getting there and your horse you know acts up and then he's sore and it's just one thing after another but like you say i think with the right attitude that nobody's going to stop you from learning and growing yeah. and, and, and getting better in that because you've purposed that that's what you're going to do. You're, and you're going to make it happen. And that's, that's pretty cool. You still have that horse? No, he was, he, he was a very generous kind horse and he uh, colicked one winter and it was, it was, you know how that goes. It's just never anything but sad yeah. Um, but I always appreciate his generosity and grace that he had. And I think that's really my favorite thing about horses is there's this quote that I love. Um, I wrote it down so I didn't forget it. If the only tool you have is a hammer, it's tempting to treat everything as if it were a nail. And I think that once you start learning and like, going behind that curtain of how so many of us, and I think the horse world in general, you know, you did stuff with horses, like racing, reining, whatever it is. It's like, we're doing this thing. That's and um, you, I, in my 
second book that I wrote, I told you I used a quote that I attributed to you, and maybe it's not you, but I love this horsemanship as a way of being around a horse that fits the horse. And to me, that's been that like sums up what my journey has been. It's like we started off being like, we want to do this horse square pig round hole. And then once you start learning and then you see the whole world of the horse and the things that they tell you and show you, you know, it helps you not have accidents and not saying that, you know, their horses and stuff's going to happen, but there is a way forward there that works for them and works for you. And that's the path that I finally rolled on to. And it's just, um, it's intoxicating, you know? I do. I do know it is, um, intoxicating. It's fun. It's frustrating. It's yeah. never ending. And that's yeah. exciting. And discouraging sometimes all at the same time it it's it is one of those things that just is always the same and yet always changing it's always still out there even though you understand so much there's still so much more it's just one of those i guess almost limitless things that um there's a lot of analogies that can be drawn there to um our lives and the relationships we have and and even our relationship with God and that sort of thing. It's just incredible. But it sounds to me like, you know, you're a student of the horse and, and know that horsemanship is, is all of those things. And it's shaped your life. We were talking before we started recording and you said that you had never anticipated becoming an author. Mm -hmm. And so let's, let's get into a little bit of that. Where did you get to from getting this young horse going and all the, uh, learning curve that that kind of threw you into um, kind of to where you are today, where you've got two books under your belt and, and you're, you're a published author. What's, what's the story there? The story there is I broke my back in a riding accident and I had just been to a clinic with Mark Rashid, who I really met Mark and Chrissy probably met them in like 2009. And, um, you know, now we're kind of like finding our way, like, oh, this other way of horsemanship, which the OGs like Tom Dorrance and Bill Dorrance have been, Ray Hunt have been doing forever. Um, and I had just been to a clinic with Mark and um, it was a winter day and I thought, oh, I'll just sneak a ride in because I have X amount of time. And fast forward that to kind of a perfect storm of, I was riding my mare and I knew when I lost her, she, something new in the environment caught her attention and I knew it. And I just kind of blew it off because it was getting dark. And then she gave me speed and I was like, this is awesome because she normally is just doesn't really want to give me all that speed, which was clue number two. And then this proverbial rabbit ran like literally between her legs and we went off, we have property here. So we're riding on our, on our property. And we went, she went like up and over. And I was like, well, there's like this giant tree and manzanita bush in front of me. I'm just going to bail off. Like I don't know what the heck I was thinking. Like at some good speed, I'm going to like land on my feet. There used to be some rodeo bronc rider who could do that. And that's what I was envisioning. That was a really bad idea. So I landed on my back and heard this big pop and my back turned out to be broken So it was pretty devastating. My husband and I are both super like, there's a chapter in my first book, which is called Broken Tales of a Titanium Cowgirl, because my back is all titanium now. Um, But it's a chapter called Can Do Girls, because I think a lot of women in rural America are just as handy and just as hard headed and just as whatever as it takes a certain type, you know, just like get out of my way. I can do this. Yeah. So I had to now be this person who needed help and was didn't know if I'd be able to walk again. And so it was uh, it blew up my life emotionally and physically. And it was a challenge. And my mom was like, you should write a journal. And I was like, I don't want to write in a journal because I have all these bad feelings. I don't want like to die and people to read it and think she was yucky. So (laughs) instead, I I wrote it in a book and so the whole world can read it. but anyway, it it turned out 
I think, and I call it a black Sharpie line moment. I Like for me, it was hearing this big pop when my back broke, but we've all had them. Like yeah. my best friend of forever, just her son just passed away. I have a, you know, we have friends and parents with cancer. Everybody's got a black Sharpie line moment. That always is the demarcation of what you're, who you were before and now what? And so my first book was now what? And I got through it. I guess fortitude, grit, grace, faith. I mean, my faith was the rock that I put my feet on when the water was really deep. Uh, family, friends. We have a, I think in rural communities, people really circle the wagons well and people brought food. And um, it was just my journey from who I used to be. And when all those pieces got broken, like now what, what do you do with yourself? And I ended up writing it as it turned out to be a book. And I reached out to um, Tom Motes, who's a prolific writer and um, equestrian journalist. And he ended up, he goes, well, that sounds like a great project. Let me know when you're done. I was like, oh, it's done. And he's like, like you have a manuscript. And so he said, would you send it to me? And um, he's been a great friend ever since. So my goal in that book, Ben, like you and I were talking earlier, my husband was like, well, you're, it's, it's not going to be like Harry Potter. Let's just be honest. But he said, what's your idea of success? And like you and I were talking earlier, I had to think about that. And I, for me, that first book was like a testimony to all the things I just said. And then I just want it to be an encouragement to people and to help one, encourage one person and help one horse get a better deal. So then that kind of um, rolled forward some years and uh, a series of other horses, like we've got five horses here and my mare that I was riding after I got back, I wanted to ride again. So we had this um, horse here, you know, that phrase beer goggles, like, like people are, oh, your eyes are clouded by you've had too many beers. So something okay. looks like a really good idea. Yeah. Well, there was this horse that people were looking, he was a rescue for a home for, and they kept sending me emails and I kept sending them on to other people. Well, I went and looked at him one day cause I was, I had an appointment nearby and I called my husband, Pat, and I was like, I think we found this great horse for you. And I, they ended up letting us have him and his name was Simba and we get him home and like Simba's like a regular size horse and my husband's six five and he's like you must have had beer goggles on Michelle because this is like a horse that's imagine this your size but Simba was the horse that got me back in the saddle so I could ride again that's awesome yeah awesome circling back around you know to kind of what I would call like your mission statement with your writing, like what you want to achieve and, and see, um, to help one more horse and one more person get a better deal. And, and I mean, it's actually, it's kind of similar to my mission statement and, and that is to, to help people and their horses achieve more together. Yeah. Together is in capitals, you know, it's like understanding one another better and, whatever it is what we want to do, like what you were saying earlier, it doesn't really matter what that is. It matters more how we go about it, how we prepare for it and our understanding of one another that really sets those things up for what you might call success, which in a big way is, is the safety and the enjoyment, hopefully on both sides, both parties uh, in whatever it is that we are doing. And that can be as simple or as technical as, as we want to, as we want to make it. But I think that your message there and your experience is, is very, very common. There's, I don't know how many, I don't know how many hundreds of people, even thousands of people that I've worked with now. And it's a very high percentage of them that have had something of a similar experience, whether they've had a serious injury or not, they have had things that knocked their confidence. They've had times where they were passionate about horses growing up and then had to have a season off and they came back and their confidence wasn't the same. Their physicality wasn't the same. Um, All sorts of different situations, but I think it's very, very applicable what you're talking about and what your, your goals are. 
because unfortunately for a lot of us, it does somehow require, uh, sometimes quite often it requires a person to have something happen Mm -hmm. before they start to think that there's a better way, or they start to look into that horsemanship. You got yourself a young horse and, and pretty honest with yourself. You said, I'm in over my head. I need to figure out some other things. And you, and like you said, you looked through the curtain and, and started looking into horsemanship and, and not just doing stuff, but actually understanding horses. And unfortunately, and, and I'm saying this across the board, regardless of discipline or, or, you know, English, Western, whatever it is, a lot of us are too hard headed to do that until we have had a major setback or an accident or an injury of some sort, or a really challenging horse that just will yeah. not, you know, play the game <laughs> with us any other way. And I've always thought it was a shame. And I guess I hope that, you know, people listening to this and, and that are finding your book and stuff can see that it just doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be as dangerous as it is. And it can be enjoyable for the horse and it can be enjoyable for us to be around them and do the things that we enjoy doing for the most part if they're physically capable of it. So I think that's really cool. I think that you've, you've really hit the nail on the head for, in my experience, the vast majority of people that are involved in horses can, can relate to those things. I, I amen heartily that. And that's why I like following you for me. It's a big thing. And I wrote about it. My second book is called horsemanship in life, a true story. Cause my new horse is named true, but I talk about that a lot. Like we've lost our confidence like that we used to have as kids. Um, I think we think it's all this, who knows what it is, but there are ways to learn. Horses will tell you Um, like we were talking, not a hundred percent, but neither are we, but we have our work to do on ourselves. Like, are we running around like all triggered and are we stuffing things down and are we ignoring our horses it's an equation. And for me, it's really important to find people with congruity, like people whose personship stacks up with their horsemanship, because absolutely, I've, I've been in places where people have left crying, you know, and I'm thinking, what good does that do? I mean, that to me is a fail. So there's people out there. Um, you know, that's why, like I said, I started following you. I have a a friend who's a, a mentor, Charlie Snell, who worked with Ray Hunt and Harry Whitney, people of character who care about your component of it and how you're doing as well as the horse. I think that's rare, but to me, that's the answer. I agree. I think that where the person's at and and how they're assessing things that, that we have to be aware of that. And, and in order for there to truly be learning taking place or any kind of progress with that horse human relationship. Um, the human has to be as comfortable as possible and free to ask questions, all those sorts of things and not be put in a spot where the the pressure that's on them is too great that they can't learn or they can't assimilate or they can't take it in or ask the questions that they need to ask. And so I think it's, it's a tricky balance and people are all different and you have so many different factors that you're working with when you've got a group of people like that, but I always try to make sure that people are as comfortable as possible. I often find that it helps to get them laughing. Oh, for sure. And uh, laughter's the best medicine and I enjoy making people laugh. And so it, it used to take me when I first started teaching clinics, I don't know, 12, 15 years. um, It would take me a a day before I kind of got, where I was feeling comfortable and the people were, you're starting to warm up and get comfortable. And, and now it's like, you know, give me the first half hour or hour. And we're talking, we're doing an introduction and getting to know people and talking about horsemanship and stuff. And, and I'll have them laughing, you know, every few minutes, just, you know, just kind of getting that, that atmosphere set. But. So what you were just saying, Ben, about people and, helping them, you as the clinician, helping them be in a frame of mind where they can feel comfortable and learn. And in my head, I was like, that's exactly what our horses want. You know, and we've spent so much time completely ignoring how they learn, how they feel, how their emotions 
essentially translate into their physical being and movements. And you think if people feel that anxiety, how do horses feel more like, hey, buddy, get in the trailer. I'm going to anxiously haul you to some strange place with a bunch of people that I may or may not know. And we're going to do this stuff. And and, and I guess what I've seen in the past is people who are like master horse people, just amazing. But the human component isn't there. And they're great with your horse. But the deal is, is you're going to load that horse up and take it home. And then what's going to happen? And that people who can put those two together, horses and their people. And I'm with you about humor. And I think like when I was working at Davis in research, I think people thought I was just some sort of like happy, jokey, airhead kind of a girl because I always believe in having fun. That doesn't mean that I don't care about the heart of it, you know? And I think that that is probably one of the fastest ways that people feel comfortable to realize, oh, I can kind of let down a little bit and this isn't going to be all hardcore and serious. And I think horses appreciate that too, because they're probably thinking people for goodness sakes, you know, do you need to be all like just so tight when you ride me and we're supposedly having fun? Yes, absolutely. And, and even before you're riding, you know, you're on the ground and you're jumpy or you're nervous or you're, you're not sure. And, and, you know, most of us, if we grew up around horses, can remember somebody telling us way back, you know, that they can feel your fear or they they can sense sense you're angry or you're scared, you know. And it is so true, even when you you don't realize it, how much your body language and your breathing and everything really is communicating to these horses. And it's exactly what you said. No different than we like to try to feel at ease, to try to learn, to be in a comfortable environment, to to hopefully learn, not that getting out of our comfort zone is a bad thing, because of course it's not. We're we're going to grow and learn right out there on the edge of our comfort zone. But but you mash us way past that, and and it's just the same as with our horses. They're they're not going to learn when we're pushing on them that hard, or or there isn't uh, the the connections being made for their understanding. And it it's just there's just so many factors there. There's so many analogies there. What would you say? you know, how would you say horses have shaped your life and your thinking, you know, your horsemanship and, uh, and the way that you think or the way that you even relate to people? I think about horses pretty solidly. I was going to say all the time, but then like my husband and my kids are going to be like, thanks a lot. Um, but like, I can literally turn anything into horses, like golf which I think is excruciatingly boring and whatever but I can think of analogies of anything that we do and that's really how the title of horsemanship and life a true story came to be because for me they walk hand in hand and like we were talking earlier about congruency or integrity yeah like if and for me my faith is like the baseline because I'm a hugely flawed person and I screw up all the time. But I think if you try with the best of your ability with, and I was listening to your podcast with Jane Pike and she's so cool. And she does, um, I saw her in San Antonio at work Schiller's uh, summit, but the work that she does with the people part of it, if you as a person, and this is my goal in life, like are are the things that you do, the situations you're in, the people you're around, are they the better for you being there? Like, do you bring air to a party or do you take air out of a party? Um, and to me, those two things just walk hand in hand. Like the better I can be at humanship, the better I can be at horsemanship. And Josh Nickel is really inspirational to me because he's he talks about the inner life of your horse and the inner life of you and we all know that when you're in a bad place, like you've got too many things stacked up and you're short tempered. Like this morning I had my dogs out and I had something on my mind and they were being dogs. And I was like, Ugh. and I was like, Michelle, this is you, not them. You know, I think the more that you can work that out. And for me, the application of it goes to horses because I really want that. I want to have 
that relationship with my horse where we, there's such possibility there. Like the times I've just changed my breathing or my thought and the horse has responded, my horse has responded. It just about fall off my horse. Cause I'm like, this is amazing. Did anyone see this? That it could be like that so much of the time, you know, kind of without out all the weight and the angst and the anxiousness that we just pick up from life. So they just, I think about them constantly because they're not separate. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it isn't separate. Um, and as you said, being a student of horsemanship, that's a lifelong thing. And it's so applicable. Every area of life, every everything that we do in relating to uh, people, our friends, our family, uh, and as well as, like you say, the dogs, the other animals, you know, it's so much of it is the horses, I think, help us to be in the moment. And people have the ability, of course, to think a lot about the past and dwell on that and then to worry or think a lot about the future and dwell on that. And there's strength there. I mean, that's part of what sets us apart from the, the animals. But but at the same time, there's nothing like being in the moment and and dealing with what is happening just right now. And, um, you know, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about, you know, those things. And, and, and just sufficient to the day is the trouble, you know, that exactly. we have. And so the horses, of course, don't, don't struggle with those things. And when we find ourselves sort of letting go a bit and being in the moment and just dealing with that, that's presented to us right there that's I think when a lot of the anxiety can go because the if if you're nervous about a horse if you're nervous about a situation it's probably based on what you think is going to happen or what you know has happened in the past and the truth is is that right there in that moment you have the ability to maybe shape it up so that neither of those things goes south on you you actually have the ability right in that moment to redirect that and, and of course, through better understanding and preparation and all those things, but it's actually that moment that is the most important. It's not what happened in the past and it's not what might happen in the future. It's right in that moment that is the crux of the matter. And you mentioned a little bit ago, uh, I can't remember if we were recording yet or not, but you said um, in you knew when that wreck was fixing to happen on oh, your yeah. and you've learned even more since then about how to how to prevent how to prepare better can you go into a little bit more about what you mean by that because this is one of my favorite subjects yeah <laughs> well it's it's huge and in your talk with Jane Pike she was saying when she started learning more she was amazed that so many people are riding and not just having wrecks all the time um and now you see them like i watched a wreck happen last spring I was putting my horse away and I just looked out because there's um, BLM land next to us. I looked out and I saw horses coming down and I was like, oh, oh, oh. And about two minutes later, there was a wreck. Um, that's not like whoop-de-doo, look at me, but it's like I'm learning to see. Um, in the case of me, um, the horseman Harry Whitney talks about having your horse's thought. And you can see that a lot. People describe it differently, but um if if you go to a clinic and somebody's in a round pen or an arena and the horse is everywhere, but looking out, that's a pretty overt case of not having your horse's thought because it's overridden by what else, how it's feeling inside. In the case with me, I knew enough what that looks like to have your horse's thought with you, not just their body. Um, and something pulled her attention and I was super cognizant of, oh, I lost her there. You know what? I lost her. She's out of the building, yeah. but she, she came back enough. And I was like, tick tock, we got to go. It's getting dark. Um, and then it was a perfect storm of things when, you know, sometimes when horses are heading home, they're like, Hey, let's go home and pick up some speed. And she was extra saucy. I mean, like hot sauce kind of, I'm ready to do this. And I also know that that's not a thing that I need to really like get into that energy. And I, I took it. So I saw all the things and the rabbit, you could say the rabbit caused the wreck, but the rabbit was just the perfect storm. Yeah. Um, and 
I think that's one of the things I would say to people is, is learn those things and you don't need to learn them in the saddle. You can learn them. You have a great video program. You don't need to haul your kids 10 hours and then five more hours. You can learn. There's videos out there. Um, talk to people, read books, and just look at the horses you're around and try and learn the signs and, and how are they feeling. And I think one of the biggest lies that we sell in the horse world is the bomb proof horse, you know, it's oh, like, yeah. no, yeah. and don't put your kids or your husband or no. So, because the other end of that is the horse that's gone inside because it just can't, can't handle all the chaos anymore. So learn those things, you know, and tease them out. Those are things, anybody of any skill set, can you tell I'm passionate about it? Anybody of any skill set can do. Yeah. And you can do it from watching videos from a good person. I mean, a person that's congruent. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I love that word congruent. I, I've used that quite a bit over the years um, because horses are congruent, you know, and I yeah. think that the best horse people have to be congruent. There has to be a consistency in what we say and what we do and what we believe and who we are for this yeah. to really, really not just work. Of course we want it to work, but, but yeah, for it to really, really work. Um, it's, it's, it's a way of life. It is a way of life. I like, I like that, that you brought that out in your second book and that it's not two different things, you know, it's not two separate things. Um, preparing horses for the unexpected and having mm -hmm. their thought. And the way I put it is if they're not with you in the first place, then, you know, when you come across challenges or distractions or something that bothers them, you might uh, have a real hard time getting them back with you if they weren't really with you in the first place, or if we're not fully aware of what that is like or, or how to shape that up. And I actually was just on a virtual clinic with Ty Evans, who is a, a mule man in Utah. Mm -hmm. He works with mules and, and uh, I really enjoyed that. Ty and I talked about sort of my topic that I always like to help people understand better in, in this line is response in spite of trouble. Yeah. A horse understanding and trusting. So you have response. And then when you have, um, and before you have trouble, before you come across things that are unexpected or out of your control, you, like you said, you don't have to be riding to do this stuff. You can actually intentionally prepare them by simulating trouble or something that bothers them and showing them that survival can be had not just through flight, but through trying to respond to the person in the direction that someone's giving them. And a little bit of this kind of preparation goes a long way towards giving a person confidence that the horse has some better ideas starting around how to deal with trouble and then confidence for the horse that, well, you don't have to, you know, quit the show and leave the planet every time, you know, something uh, startles you or, or is unexpected. And so, uh, yeah, it does, it does not cease to amaze me that more people don't get in wrecks because of that lack of preparation. Well, where you've done with your videos and your philosophy, a good job of showing, I don't know if people, you know, the phrase when things get Western or when things hit the fan, cause it, yeah. it will. And a lot of people, myself, many years included are riding around just in the back of your mind thinking, I hope this holds together. And that is just not right. a way to be because it could be really bad if it doesn't hold together. And yeah. your horse, helping your horse learn, like you just said, other confidence building things, like you can make other choices and you don't need to be. And, and Jane was talking about that, you guys in her podcast about, you know, patterns. And my friend Charlie Snell says he's a little cowboy from... And Miles City, Montana, but a wonderful horseman and a great man. He's like three times as a pattern, you know? So now I've got that in my head. I'm like, uh-oh, that happened. Like, I need to really put more forethought into how I'm going to present this so I don't have to undo some pattern here. Exactly. But help, helping your horse be confident and be calm and just find that place of peace that they can respond to with a, oh, maybe I'll do this, or, oh, maybe you might actually have a good idea. 
because you've 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 proven yourself. I hate, you know, we used to have respect and leader. And so now I try really hard not to say that, but that as a partner, you've shown proven yourself to be seaworthy. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it takes, that takes time. That takes consistency and intention on our part. Uh, but on the same hand, it, it doesn't have to take as much time as you would think Mm-mm. if we are consistent and we know a little bit about how to read them, what they're, what they're thinking, what their motives are, how they're feeling and how to help them feel better or think more thoroughly about things and understand things piece by piece. It really comes down to, to helping them piece by piece too, at times. Sometimes I think it's easy for um, horses to be overwhelmed or flooded too much Mm -hmm. with, with stimulus or what have you. And, and then shut down is kind of the typical answer. And so you end up with a horse that just learned that, you know, there's this big stimulus. And so the, the answer is just shut down and, and, and stop, stop moving your feet, you know, and, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but when it's the only answer and, and it's done repeatedly, then you can end up with horses that are pretty stuck in the feet or pretty bottled up with a bunch of energy inside and not knowing how to actually deal with it and process it. That's, that's a whole nother subject. We probably better not know. Go back. I know. I love, I love that one though, because it's like, I wrote a chapter about it. Like there's those of us who are like tiptoe around. And then there's those of us who are like, we are bringing in the helicopter and the flying monkeys and we're going to do it 50 times, you know? So I'm really glad that you said that. And it is a talk all unto itself, but that it doesn't take that many times. If you're relating in a language, the way the horse makes sense to the horse like your quote originally and you don't need to be repetitive yeah in a nutshell you know the desensitization idea that sort of is classically approached where you want the horse to come to the standstill and then eventually you're going to be flapping stuff all over in both sides at the standstill is is just such a small piece of really helping a horse get accepting of things and Mm -hmm. And beyond that, not not just accepting, but those things that they have never seen before, the things that they might still be troubled by, they would understand how to be responsive to a person and responsive to the direction we might need to give them in that moment. And the truth is yeah. that you can try to desensitize them to lots of different stuff and have them stand in there flapping stuff like crazy, but that is not response in spite of trouble. Yeah. And it may or may not be true acceptance of that object, depending on the horse and, and how they perceive that. A lot of them will just get bottled up and they get where they're frozen or stuck. They know they're not supposed to move, so they just handle it. But they're not accepting of that noise or that object or that stimulus as much as you would think they are. Um, but if they're not, if you're not having a meaningful conversation that can be then interrupted by some sort of trouble or bother, and then assess their understanding of coming back to you in spite of that, coming back to being with you and engaged in a conversation with you to some degree, then we really don't know what's going to happen when stuff really comes unraveled. And they think they need to, you know, every man for himself. That's, that's the fork in the road right there. That's, that's really when the rubber meets the road. So that's what I try to prepare them for. And I try to help people understand how to prepare their horses for in the long run for, for hopefully safety and success in those, in those moments. That's such good. It's such good stuff. And that's, it's the onion part of it. You know, it's like, once you start seeing a different way, it's, and we underestimate, we're so used to like, I'll, my line is I've learned more from my kids and animals than they have literally ever learned from me. You know, <laughs> you you look at the joy and the openness and the wonder of kids and we're like, Hey, I will fix you. <laughs> and kids are like, yeah, you should probably fix yourself grownups, you know, and the same with animals. And we have so much to learn from them. If we could just kind of step off of that and back up a little bit and be like, how how can we be good partners where I've got your back, you've got my back and we enjoy the ride. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What would you say 
has been one of the most surprising things in your journey in horsemanship and and everything you've learned about about horses? What has surprised you the most? Probably, probably two things. One is like all the amazing people that I've met, just like, like you're doing, like living this thing that you love from your heart and trying to help people and their horses. I just love that. All the friends that I've made that just are living life that way. And I think it's really easy to look back and just feel ashamed, you know, about horses. I've run around the round pen when it's like, run them, run them, run them, run them ashamed. But to me, shame. And I wrote about this shame is like that light that comes on your dashboard. Like you can either pretend it's not there. You can either put a piece of tape over it or you can just get it fixed and keep on driving. Yeah. So I've tried to be like, like let go of, the things I didn't know in the past and be grateful. I think the best thing to answer your question is how forgiving and maybe grace filled is not the right word, but I see it as a grace that we're so flipping clumsy with them, with our human speak and all that, that they're like, if you just come back, like mea culpa, clean slate, here I am today. Sorry, that was not, not clear or, I, I, whatever that horses are like, okay. I mean, they want to get along. Yeah. And yeah. I love that. It's incredible that, that, that has been something that just, I've always been amazed at is how forgiving they are, how adaptable they can be. And I often tell people, you know, I get a lot of people who sort of like you, you know, get a young horse or maybe a green greener horse that they, they want to learn and they're hungry to learn, but they're so scared of making mistakes or they're so scared of messing this horse up. And, you know, I don't have to spend very long with them before I can tell them, look, you are so hungry to learn and cautious and yet willing to try things, you know, that I think the, the the people that mess horses up are those who are not willing to adapt or learn or grow or change their approach to fit that horse. That's going to end up messing up a horse. Now, anything can happen. There might be accidents that, that, you know, a lack of experience could lead to. But the truth is, is, you know, when you're a dedicated student of the horse and you're kind of err on the side of caution, it's going to have to take some pretty crazy circumstances to really mess that horse up. Now that doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes because you will, (laughs) you're going to make mistakes, but, but you're not going to mess that horse up when you're, when you're trying to learn and grow and adapt like that. I think that that really sets people up for success when they have that attitude and they approach it that way. I'd love, now that's a message. I wish you would just that the world, the people in this space need to hear and, and Mark Rashid always said that, and it really stuck with me. He's like, who cares if you make a mistake? You know, as if it comes in what you said, Ben, is like, it's where it's coming from. Like, I didn't know how to raise kids and you got kids. It's like, you don't know yeah. till you're like, okay, I have to help you be like a, a good citizen. You know, how? what does that look like? But your intent, and I think children and animals feel your intent. People can call it different things, energy, heart, whatever. But you know the feeling when someone makes an honest mistake. And my motto is always like, you don't need to pull my arm off and hit me with it. I'll just tell you I screwed up. Here's my arm, you know. We don't need to wrangle about that. And I think the same with, I'll never forget when my youngest son was four and I just like yelled at him one day and I was like, oh my gosh, I just actually did that. And they just looked at me and it's embarrassing to say this, but I know I'm not the only parent out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked at them and I was like, oh my gosh. And my young son said, mommy, it's okay. And I was like, this is like, like you just said, the fork in the road. I was like, it is not okay. It doesn't mean I haven't yelled since, you know, but it is not okay. That's not who I want to be. That's not how you should be treated. And I am sorry. It's like I had the decision to make as a grown up. I can pretend like that was fine, or I could be like, that's 
That's not how we want to do this. Yeah. And there's a difference there. Uh, kids and horses absolutely. and animals know it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, it's like that dash light, like you said, are we going to tape over it or are we going to address it and fix it so we can go on in, yeah. in, the, in the right way? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you might have already answered this question pretty much, <laughs> but if uh, how would you like to be remembered? What is the legacy that you're working on? As like my faith is the the true north of me. And like I said, I screw up all the time, but I want to let that love like shine through me. Like I'm busy cleaning my own window all day long. It's like, I don't need to go around finding out what's wrong with everybody else. It's like full-time job. Um, that, and that people could feel, um, seen and loved and heard. I think there's a lot of hard stuff in the world. And I think we're all just kind of walking on the path. And I would want people to feel like, oh, that was somebody who either like helped shine the light when I couldn't do it or gave me like some lemonade when I was thirsty or helped me laugh about something that was hard, but that, that I contributed more to the world than I took from it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, like what you said about your books, being an encouragement and helping people and horses and, and, you know, not just to be more successful, but to be safer and uh, prevent hopefully things from happening that, that is not helpful. When, when you first started writing and, and I think you said your mother encouraged you to do that, did, you know, did you ever foresee that becoming a book? I mean, when did that start to take shape and, and did you ever foresee that you'd have another book that that would be part of how you're achieving uh, your mission and what, you, what you're building as your legacy? Well, like I studied sciences and sciences were hard for me. I'm more like a verbal kind of a person. Um, but there was like no time for writing, you know, you didn't take English classes. I do love to read. Um, but I was trying to work my way through my accident and it was things like, you know, walking, walking down to the barn and finding a frog underneath a horse blanket. And I am just really struck by the wonder of the world. Even in, in hard times, there's small joys everywhere. And I found that those were the things that you could just like add up. And then at one point I thought, oh my gosh, I'm actually going to come out the other side of this. You know, it's like, I don't need to be the same person I was before. I can be this other me. And that's when I thought there's a story here and just kind of laid out all. Like, I think I had one chapter in my first book called Five Months in a Frog, but I can literally just like spin off on oh, look, a frog. And I love frogs too. And how amazing is this? That in this dry barn, there's a little frog. And isn't that cool? Essentially, my books are like my brain dumped out on paper. And I think that works for some people. <laughs> I th I would say so. I think it sounds very real and authentic. And like I said, very um, relatable and applicable to a lot of people. And so, you know, I would, I would highly recommend I mean, I'm going to check them out. I'm going to, I, I would hire <laughs> anybody checking them out because it's, it's, it's the real stuff. It's the authentic stuff that we need, especially in this day and age. And um, yeah, I just think that's super cool. Super cool. Thanks. Thank you, Ben. Well, thank you. Michelle, thank you so much for taking some time to sit down and visit with me. Can you it's tell? So awesome. Yeah. Tell everybody where they can find out a little bit more about you and your adventures. Um, if you have any social media handles and where they can sure. get a hold of, of your books. For sure. Uh, unfortunately, they all have different, slightly different names. I have a website. I don't know if people even use websites too much anymore. Uh, it's called titaniumcowgirl.com. I'm on Facebook as at Broken Tales of a Titanium Cowgirl. And Instagram as Tales of a Titanium Cowgirl. And if you look my name up on Amazon, my books will pop up. Perfect. Perfect. That sounds awesome. I sure appreciate your time again, Michelle. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And uh, who knows, maybe one of these days our paths will cross.
I hope so. Very much hope so. Thank you for everything, Ben. It's been a real pleasure. Well, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to Life in the Saddle podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share and leave a five-star rating or review. Remember, you can find us on social media or our website, truewesthorsemanship.com.